Uh, so far with our Plastic Donuts series here, we've talked about some surprising and hopefully thought-provoking scriptural concepts around giving. I may have answered some questions that you have coming in, and my guess is I've probably created a few more questions along the way, and that's okay. But hopefully this series, if you've been around the last two weeks, that this series has provided you opportunity to reflect and to think about your own giving and how God might see what you give. And I know this has been happening. I know you have been reflecting on your own giving because three things have happened over the last couple weeks that I wanted to share that are pretty exciting. So first, you all have donated almost $500 over the last two weeks so that we can give away these books for free. It's amazing. It's every week people are saying, okay, I'll donate. And we've had donations as small as $5 to people donating $100. And so we have another stack. We've ordered 150. We've gone through two cases of these books, and we've got another case out on the Connection Center out there. And so if you don't have a copy of these, this is our gift to you. You can go back right after service and grab one for yourself. And if we run out, I'm going to put the challenge out to donate more, and we'll buy another box. Okay? So we still got one more week in this series. So if you don't have a copy of this book, as I say each week, this is the single best book I have ever read on giving in the church. And not just because it's short and small. But that did bring it pretty high down the list. Well, so that's number one. Number two is last week I introduced something that we call the, the three-month giving challenge. And what this is, is this is you agreeing to give a meaningful amount of money to River Life for three months. Whatever number you choose, whatever interval you choose. And if at the end of those three months... If you don't believe that God has taken care of you through this process, we will refund the entire amount. So I issued that challenge last week, and we already have people signing up. So people are taking their challenge. They are up in their giving game and saying, I'm going to trust God, and here's what I'm going to commit to for three months. So the challenge is out there. You can go to riverlifemn.com give. And you can see this graphic right on there. Click it, and there's a form that you sign up so that you commit, you let us know. We encourage you along the way. But it is an amazing, wonderful way to up your giving game, to trust God with your finances, and to increase your faith and trust in God. And then third, and this just blew me away, third is last week we had the largest giving week we have ever had at River Life. So typically, um, typically we get about three, 4,000 a week or so. Uh, but last week, you gave, you, not me, but you, we gave 40, in one week, we gave 40% of what we normally give in an entire month. You did that in one week. So pull, pull up that chart there. To give you a sense of what, in this month, what week one, week two, week three, and week four looked like in giving. Yeah, that's you. And it wasn't just because someone wrote like a $5,000 check to us. But if you're feeling so moved, make that, no, okay. <laughs> um, it was because 
a lot of people gave. And it was amazing. I say this over and over again, I'll say it again. This is the most generous church I have ever been in. Not even, I used to say like that I've ever like led in, but no, this just takes like the, the most generous church I have ever been in. So thank you. Thank you to all of you for listening to God, for responding to God, for taking risks in your faithfulness and your generosity. So thank you to all of you for that. Well, over the past two weeks, we've uncovered three of the four core biblical principles around giving that we call the acceptable gift truths. Um, and and this, na- this idea comes from, there are some gifts all throughout Scripture, there are gifts that God accepts. He sees them as acceptable and pleasing to him. And then there are gifts that God does not accept. And we see that all throughout Scripture. And so these, these core truths that we've been talking about, and all of these point to the, the big picture principle that God is interested in not just why we give, but how much we give. So the, the, first, the first core truth is the amount matters. The amount really does matter. It's not just about the heart. And that's what we're going to be talking today, is we're going to be talking about the heart side of giving. But it's not just about the heart. Okay? Last week, we looked at two of the three gifts. Number two talked, talked about you determine the amount. There is no, contrary to a lot of folks who, who teach a hardline tithe view of Scripture, when you look at all of Scripture, there is not a fixed amount, percentage, or ratio that God dictates for us to give. You determine the amount. Third, we also talked about the idea is that, that you give according to your ability. All of you are at different giving ability levels, and that's okay. Every one of you can give a gift to God that is acceptable and pleasing to him, no matter what your income level. You give according to your ability. Well, today, I want to ask the question that comes to a lot of people's minds, and I already mentioned it, is what about the heart? Is a gift acceptable simply because it comes from the heart? Well, there is part of this is true. Like a lot of things, part of it is true, and part of it is not exactly true. It's only part of the picture, but it is part of the picture. And this leads to our fourth biblical truth here, is that your heart makes the gift acceptable. Your heart makes the gift acceptable. It is not the whole picture, but it is part of the picture. So you see, the condition of your heart absolutely matters. So it's kind of like, I'm always entertained. Um, The Hmong language has some very funny phrases and funny words coming from an outsider looking in. And so I'm always intrigued how the word heart can be the core of so many different other words. So a patient person is described as being shante. They have a long heart. Or like an impatient person, the opposite of that, an impatient person is, uh, is shanlu. Is they have a really short heart. 
because they get impatient, they get angry quickly. Or, or my favorite one, my favorite one is a mean person. A mean person says, Shape. They have a bad heart. Bad, bad heart. I just think of the Grinch. That, like, he has a bad heart. Shape. <laughs> that, that's the Mong bootleg of the Grinch you can find over at Mong Village. So your heart is the root of all kinds of other behaviors. The Hmong language reflects that, and giving reflects that. See, the same can be said for giving. Your heart makes your gift acceptable in God's eyes. Likewise, your heart can make the gift unacceptable. Think about that for a second. The condition of your heart can negate giving a meaningful amount determined by you in relationship, in conversation with God, and given according to your ability. You could be living out the the three of the biblical truths, but your heart can negate it. Because if your heart's not right with God, God doesn't want it. So what can make your heart not right with God? How can we end up giving an unacceptable gift when it feels like we're doing all the the other things right? Well, today I want to talk about three ways that your heart can make your gift unacceptable. Now, these are sins in Scripture that directly say how, how a condition of our heart can destroy our giving. Now, any sins in Scripture, and Scripture is full of the sins that can be dark in our hearts, and any of them can can damage our, our, um, our giving to God. But these three, the Bible explicitly says, they can negate our giving. So, the first one, the first one is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. So this is holding a grudge. This is not forgiving someone or resenting them for something they've done. Now, Jesus said a lot of startling things in the Sermon on the Mount. And here is just one of them. Listen to this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go be reconciled to them. Then come and offer up your gift. Now, wait, wait, wait. Okay, wait, really? Is Jesus really saying that if you've got a beef with someone, or more importantly, if someone has even a beef with you, you should actually get up out of church and leave? Yeah. That's how serious unforgiveness is. We should just get up, put our wallet back in our pocket, put it back in your purse, and go make it right with them. Go ask forgiveness. Admit what you did was wrong. Grant forgiveness to someone who wronged you, who hurt you. Think about it. Why on earth would he say this? That's easy. Because few things destroy the heart more than unforgiveness. 
And few things destroy a church more than unforgiveness. You see, unforgiveness, it feels like power. I'm the one in control. I'm not as bad as they are. They are the bad person. I'm the victim here. It feels like power, but it's not. It's actually imprisonment. You are imprisoning yourself to the wrong that you did or they did. And it's a prison you can't get out of without forgiveness. So if that's not enough to move your heart, there are few things more unchristlike, more anti-Christ than unforgiveness. Think about it. The sole reason Jesus Christ came to earth, lived, on a, lived as a man, died on a cross, was so he could die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. That's why Jesus died. That was his core mission. And so when we reject that and we do not forgive, that is anti-Christ. That is un-Christ-like. So, I mean, think about the verse again. If we were to take this seriously, how many of you would have to get up and walk out right now? Take you, your family, your money, all of that, and walk out. Because someone has something against you. Because you have some, something against someone else. Unforgiveness will eat away at your heart from the inside out. And it will negate your giving. God doesn't want any part of it. So that's the first area. The second area that can make our gift unacceptable. Deception. Deception. This is lying. Or simply omitting the truth. You ever do that one with yourself? Be like, well, I'm not lying. You're not telling the truth either. It's still lying. It's still deceiving. So one of the most shocking moments in the early church, in the book of Acts, it happened just a few years after Jesus died and resurrected and ascended into heaven. So just a few years, this new, brand new thing called church is just a couple years old. But it was an insanely generous community. They provided for everybody. Any need got provided for. People were even selling off homes and land and bringing it and giving it to the church. And that's the context that a couple people, a married couple in the church... They sold off part of their land, and they brought some money into the church to give. They were named Ananias and Sapphira. And while all of this hugely generous giving was going on, they, they wanted to as well. So they sold off some land, but they only brought half the money. But they said it was the whole amount. They lied. Now, Scripture doesn't say why they lied, Maybe they wanted the accolades. Maybe they wanted the attention. Maybe they wanted to be like everyone else and they felt pressured. Maybe they wanted their name on a little plaque on the wall saying that they gave. 
the founding of the church. We don't know. But we know there was no good reason for it. They, they said they gave the whole amount. They only gave half. They lied to the disciples. And God revealed to the disciples, revealed to Peter what they had done. And here's what Peter said. Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from, for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it sold, wasn't the money your, at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied. You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And at that moment, Ananias fell down dead. God struck him dead. And then his wife, who wasn't in the room at the time, they moved his body. His, his wife came in, and they gave her a chance to be honest. They gave her a chance to tell the truth, and she didn't. She doubled down on the lie. God struck her dead. It was the first cataclysmic, it was the first major sin recorded in the early church, and it was the first of God's punishments against the early church. And so, so, I mean, and it's easy as Christians, I mean, if you're a Christian, you're a church goer, you be like, okay, that sounds like a very Bible story. But let's not forget, they gave an enormous amount of money to the church. This was no small measure. They gave an enormous amount of money to the church. This was the ultimate you decide the amount gift. They didn't have to give it. There was no rule. There was no mandate. There was no give 10%. No, they didn't have to give anything. They could have given half and said it was half. And everything's awesome. But they didn't. They chose to lie to increase their status somehow. And they were both killed for it. They were judged by God. They didn't have to do this. They didn't have to lie. But they did. And lying will kill your heart. It's not just relationally devastating. It's personally and spiritually devastating when lying is a part of your life, a part of your heart, or a part of your church experience. It negates your gift. So if, you're, if you are lying, if you have lies that you're, you're fishing and perpetrating that are a part of your life right now, God wants to help you clean up your heart, then give your gift. Banish the lies. Tell the truth. Own up to the mistakes you made. Stop trying to cover them up. God wants to repair your heart. Then give your gift. So there's one more way. There's one more way that, that can make your giving unacceptable to God. And that's hypocrisy. So this is... This is being two-faced. It's, it's saying one thing and doing another. Saying you believe one thing, but then doing something that is antithetical to that belief. That's hypocrisy. And as sad as it is to say, Christians have pretty well mastered hypocrisy. 
If you want the most depressing, well, maybe not the most depressing, but if you want a very depressing Google search, just search Christian hypocrisy meme. I was going to like insert a little joke here and throw up some memes, but I just got so depressed because they're true. And it actually wasn't funny. It was quite sad. And that's the, what the world, that's, it's one of the top things that comes in about surveys about Christians, that one of the top things people associate with Christians is hypocrisy. Saying one thing and doing another thing. And this is really surprising because Jesus reserved his harshest words for the hypocrites. There's a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. They're the ones who were looked up to the most. They were, they were kind of the cream of the religious crop. But they also, after so many years and centuries, had diverted from God's heart in the Old Testament. And they began to d- develop such a legalistic view of their faith and what following God looked like. They became hypocrites. And Jesus called them out If you think Jesus was all about love, rainbows, and and unicorns, you have not read the Bible. Jesus had some of his harshest words, his most critical, most judgmental words towards people who lived in hypocrisy, and most of which were geared toward this religious group. Nowadays, they'd be called the pastors, The priests, the rabbis, that's who he's talking to here. He would be talking to people inside the church, not outside the church. Here's one of the things that Jesus said in calling out this group called the, the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So let me explain this. The the Pharisees were so set on developing a set of rules for their faith. They followed the, the tithe rule one of the giving rules that's talked about in the Bible, so much so that they would take, like, take the cilantro out of your mom's garden and pick it and then pick off 10% of the leaves and give that to church. That's how detailed, that's how, how specific they got. That's how rigid they got. And in doing, though, in picking off little cilantro leaves so they could make sure to give 10%, they were ignoring the poor. They were ignoring those taken advantage of. They were ignoring the foreigners in their land. They were ignoring justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They were failing. They were becoming hypocrites in saying that religion was so important to them, but they were ignoring justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They had it all wrong. But I love what Jesus said. He did say, leave the cilantro there. 
and go help poor people. No, he said, you should be going to help poor people and give your 10%. You should be doing the latter without sacrificing the former. The Apostle Paul even picked up on this idea, this idea of hypocrisy. In his famous love chapter, the most common biblical passage read at weddings, I've lost track of how many times I've read this at different weddings, but it's, it's an amazing chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, and here's one of the lines in that passage that Paul said. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. It doesn't matter how much you give. If you do not have love, if you say you follow a Savior who taught to love God and love others, and you do not love God and love others, that's hypocrisy. If your friends would not describe you as a loving person, as a forgiving person, you're missing something big here. You're focusing on one thing and ignoring the more important thing. And Jesus is saying, focus on both. And your, and your giving is impacted. The state of your heart, the hypocrisy in your heart negates your good gift. It negates your huge gift. I'm all for a huge gift. But not if your heart is dark. Unforgiveness, deception, hypocrisy, these are heart killers, and these are giving killers. This is, these are generosity killers, and they can make your gifts unacceptable to God. Unforgiveness, deception, hypocrisy, they're in you, and they're in me. In fact, if you're being honest with yourself, you're all alone, the dark of the night, no one there you're trying to impress. If you look at the state of your heart, I think we all know how dark our hearts can be. How much evil can sit inside us. And that's why now, if you're feeling a little heavy-hearted, that's okay. Because this is a little heavy of a topic. Because we know, we know how mean and defensive and argumentative and insecure and prideful we can be. And if you don't think you're any of those things, you're fooling yourself. Because we all are. We all have parts of those in us. And without Jesus... That's all you have. Sure, you can try harder. You can try to be a better person. You could ignore it. You could cover it up. You could deny it. You could blame other people. You could work harder. You, but without Jesus, you can try all of that. And we all know it never really works. But with Jesus, 
in a relationship with Jesus, there is an alternative. God can restore the condition of your heart. God can restore it. He can create in you a clean heart. He can give you a new heart. He can take your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. The condition of your heart matters. It matters for your faith and it matters for your giving. No gift can be acceptable to God if our hearts are not right before him. See, he sees our hearts. He already knows what's in your heart. You aren't hiding anything from him. And if there is unforgiveness, if there is deception, if there is hypocrisy, if your lifestyle is off the mark, if your words don't reflect Jesus, if your focus is not on your relationship with God, he already knows. And he wants to restore you. All he desires is that you come to him in honest confession to admit your failures, admit your shortcomings, your sins, and seek forgiveness and love from him. That's what he desires. He is standing with arms open wide ready to receive you and embrace you like a good father loves his child. No blame, no shaming, no I told you so. Just welcome back. I love you, my child. When your heart is clean, when your heart is right before God, and it's only through Jesus Christ can that be done. But when your heart is right before God, then your giving is received as a pleasing, pleasant aroma by your heavenly Father. He smiles at your gift. He receives you, and he receives your gift with open arms and a smile on his face because he alone can restore our hearts like they need to be restored. Join me in prayer. Father God, we come before you with dark hearts. Lord, we, we know what's inside of us. So I confess, I confess for myself, my pride and my insecurity, my selfishness. And I stand before the congregation and confess on behalf of them. I stand in their place, God, to mediate with Jesus, because of Jesus, and I pray for them. Forgive them. 
Lord, forgive me. Create in us a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Let River Life be a place of restored hearts. Let your church be the spotless bride you desire it to be. Not because of things we do, not because we try harder, or even that we're good people. But let us be a spotless bride because of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, the forgiveness that he offers us. So God, let us, be, let us give gifts that please you and let us have hearts that please you. Lord, so I pray for any person here, God, who might be feeling the guilt or the shame of what they've done, what they've said, Meet them here. Meet them right now. Show them your love. Embrace them fully. Know that, and, and let them know that you are not a God who shames them. You are a God who welcomes them home and welcomes them into relationship with you. God, so restore our hearts and let us give great gifts to a good God because of the good gifts you've given us. We thank you, and I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the best gift that you have ever given us. Amen. Mm -hmm.